Mormonism 101, a book by Mormonism Research Ministries, Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, has helped many who want to understand what separates Mormonism from the Christian faith. Mormonism 101 is available at your favorite Christian bookstore or online at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Does the Mormon view of God follow the blueprint of Christ's church? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We are continuing our look at a talk that was given by Tad Callister of the Presidency of the Seventy. He gave this talk on January 12, 2014 at Brigham Young University, and it's titled, What is the Blueprint of Christ Church? Today we look at his defense of the Mormon view of God having a body of flesh and bones. And as we've talked about before, he has used the same points that 17 points of the true church, a document that was made many years ago, have. And so on this point that he's going to make comes from the 11th point of the 17 points of the true church. The true church must teach that God and Jesus have bodies and flesh and bone. Here's what Callister said. Now let us turn to the second page of the blueprint. What were the teachings of Christ's church? Let us examine a few. Is God solely a spirit, or does he also have a body of flesh and bones? What does the blueprint teach? Now, let me stop you there, Eric, because you and I have a good friend, Mark Strauss, who teaches New Testament. And I asked Mark specifically about this understanding that Callister is expressing here. When he says, is God solely a spirit, or does he also have a body of flesh and bones. I asked Mark, who understands and teaches Greek, can John 4.24 that reads, God is spirit, because that's really what it says, God is spirit. Can that be understood from the Greek to mean God has a spirit? Mark said, absolutely not. So what we have here is Tad Callister making that kind of a mistake. He's assuming that when John 4.24 says God is spirit, that it could also mean that he has a spirit as well as a body. That's what he's implying here. But you don't get that from John 4.24, that is for sure. And then he goes on and cites the same verses used in 17 points of the true church. Luke chapter 24, he also uses Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Now, it's interesting he uses those verses because this is what he says at the end of this section. He says, this is the exact truth taught by Joseph Smith as part of the restoration of Christ's church. And then he cites from D&C 130, verse 22, the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's, the Son also. Now, here's what kind of drives me crazy, though, in these two paragraphs. He's asking the question at the very beginning, is God solely a spirit, or does he also have a body of flesh and bones? And then he spends about two paragraphs defending the fact that the resurrected Jesus had a body of flesh and bones. That's where a lot of those verses are coming from that you cited earlier. We're not disagreeing that the resurrected Christ had a body, that he resurrected 
bodily. Nobody is denying that. We certainly do agree with that. But here, while he's making a case for a resurrected Christ who has a body of flesh and bones, he all of a sudden uses those verses to defend Joseph Smith's claim that the Father has a body of flesh and bones? How is he connecting the two? I don't get that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and I think he misunderstands the Christian idea of the Trinity, because certainly we believe that Jesus is God, but he's not the Father. And whereas the Father is spirit, according to John chapter 4, verse 24, we know that Jesus has a resurrected body. So we can read those verses with Mr. Callister and say, amen, yes, Jesus has a resurrected body. But here's what he does when he cites Hebrews 1.3. He says, Jesus sits on the right hand of God the Father and is, as the scriptures declare, in the, quote, the express image of his person. Now, that's from the King James. Mm -hmm. If we look at the literal Greek, it can be understood to mean the exact expression of his substance. And many of the modern versions do translate it in a manner such as that. Yeah, let me give you one from the ESV, English Standard Version. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. But see, the word image is used in the King James, and boy, that should be a trigger for all of us, because how many times have we had Latter-day Saints go back to Genesis 1.26, where it says that God created man in his image, mm-hmm. and they make the connection that because man has a body of flesh and bones, that must be the image being spoken of when referring to God. Joseph Smith, as we've said many times on this show, clarified that, you would think, for Latter-day Saints, because he made it very clear in his Joseph Smith translation that the conversation taking place in Genesis 1.26 is between the Father and the Son. Even Mormons would have to admit the Son did not have a body of flesh and bones at that time, so you can't assume that the word image in Genesis 1.26 or 27 is referring to a body. Do you think Tad Callister is doing just that when he sees the word image in Hebrews 1.3 in the King James? Maybe he's thinking back to Genesis 1.26 or 27 and saying, see, that's a body. Mm-hmm. Well, if he is, he's making one serious mistake. So really what happens here is while he gives a defense for a bodily resurrection of Jesus, he's merely making an assertion when it comes to the Father having a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. Yes, Jesus is God, so is the Father, but you can't equate the two. And so this is a misunderstanding, I think, of the Trinity. We have a series of articles on the Trinity on our website, mrm.org slash trinity hyphen index. If you go on that, you can read more about it. And there's many other websites out there that will talk in more detail. And we've talked about that issue before. But I think this is a, a, a terrible problem that he has created for himself in trying to argue against the Christian position. And he's not really arguing against it at all. We would call that a typical straw man is yeah. what he's doing. He, well, he he seems like with Bruce McConkie and maybe even Tad Cal- They seem to misunderstand what Christians have really taught on this. And that's a good point. And then then he goes on, and he's going to use the 10th point of the 17 points of the true church. And this is what the 10th point says. The true church must teach that God and Jesus are separate and distinct individuals. And he uses John 17, 11, and 20, 17 as resources. Well, this is what Callister says. Are God and Jesus the same being as taught by much of the Christian world or two separate beings? There's your straw man. Right. And he goes on to say, what does the blueprint say? Well, first of all, if you're going to assume what the Christian church or the Christian world really teaches on this, first of all, I will admit 
there are some that profess to be Christian that claim that God the Father and Jesus are the same being. Those would be modalists. Many of them, they belong to, for instance, like the United Pentecostal Church. They do not believe in the Trinity. I would not use that word being like that. I believe, as many Christians would argue, that there is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I know that word persons can even be confusing. There really isn't a word, I don't think, in our language that can clearly explain that. That's why in the Greek they use the word homoousion as opposed to homoousion. If you understand that, I think it becomes a little more clear to you. Now, Callister may not understand this, but when he talks about God and Jesus being the same being as if we believe God the Father is Jesus, well, no, that's taught in the Book of Mormon, but that's not what Christians historically have believed. In the Athanasian Creed, it makes it very clear that we believe in one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance or essence. What does the Athanasian Creed go on to say? It says, For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost is all one. And it goes on and it says that the Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Ghost is eternal, and yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three uncreated nor three infinities, but one uncreated and one infinite. You can read this whole thing and it's just amazing how... Well, they are able to put this and make it understandable. And let me just say, Christian, if you've never read the Athanasian Creed, I would encourage you to do so. Sometimes just reading the opening lines will clarify a lot of misunderstanding that you may have regarding the Trinity, because sadly, I've heard Christians misidentify what the Trinity is. And many times when Christians try to explain it, they erroneously make the same mistake that Tad Callister has made. It's not modalism. That is not what Christians historically have believed. Callister continues and he says, The number of references in the Bible to the separate identity and separate roles of the Father and Son is staggering. To which I would say, Amen. I agree with that statement. And then he goes on to give some examples. Yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, recognizing the excruciating pain that was yet to be his, the Savior declared, Not my will, but thine be done. From Luke twenty-two forty-two. Do you have a problem with that? Not at all. No, we don't. See, that's the point. He's trying to make it sound like Christians have a problem with these verses. We don't have a problem at all with these verses. They make perfect sense to us. And he goes on and he says, Why did the Savior pray to the Father or cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's from Mark chapter 15, verse 34. How could he be forsaken if there was no separate being to forsake him? Again, I think Callister is misunderstanding what Christians have believed regarding the Trinity. But when he goes on, on to say in the next paragraph, when Joseph Smith emerged from the grove of trees, and this would be referring to the first vision, he had learned for himself the truth. He had seen God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, standing side by side. He had heard the Father refer to the other as his beloved Son, citing Joseph Smith history, section 1, verse 17. On that glorious day, the heavens shattered the man-made myths of the past about the nature of God and revealed and confirmed the simple truth as originally taught in the blueprint that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, have a oneness of goals and will, but a 
separateness of identity. Well, we certainly believe there's a separateness of identity. We just don't believe that there's three gods within one Godhead. If you go back to Joseph Smith's earlier writings in Lectures on Faith, this is the original Doctrine and Covenants, the 1835 edition on page 53. It says, The Father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power, possessing all perfection and fullness, the Son a personage of tabernacle. There, they distinguish between the two, the Father, a personage of spirit, and the Son, a personage of tabernacle. A personage of spirit. And that's the way we would describe God the Father. And I want to go back to this line here. On that glorious day, the heavens shattered the man-made myths. You have to understand, they call it the first vision. You can't draw the conclusion that God has a body of flesh and bones from this vision, can you? Did Joseph Smith touch the images that he saw? And come to think of it, That story is an embellishment of what he said in 1832. In 1832, when he wrote down this account in his diary, he never mentions the father to begin with. So I think the whole first vision story, though certainly it is believed by Latter-day Saints, is highly questionable. It doesn't sound like that's what Joseph Smith always believed, but it was something that he eventually evolved into. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com.